Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Delicious Podcast Extra Portion with me, Jilly Smith. And this week I'm talking to Giles Corrin about the role of the critic when everyone publishes their views on social media. I asked him about the moment when he realised that he knew more than anyone else about food and could call himself a critic. Well, I mean, being a restaurant critic, if you're any good at it, is, or being any kind of critic, it's just an illusion, isn't it? It's just smokes and mirrors. I mean, I very much respond to what you just said about <laughs> how good I am. And do you know 95% of people that I write for, I think, do believe that? And the other 5% let me know that they don't. I, I Listen, I believed I could be a restaurant critic when, as editor of the review section of Tatler magazine in 1998, I got fed up with hounding the then restaurant critic for his copy, fed up with paying him what was then a lot of 500-odd quid a month we paid him to do his things, fed up with his copy being rubbish, and fired him and hired myself. I didn't even use a pseudonym. I just put myself in and made myself a restaurant critic, because uh, I reckon anyone could do that, and it turned out I was right. <laughs> and that very first meal, do you remember what you, what you critiqued? The first restaurant I went to as Tacta Restaurant Critic was the newly opened Petrus, which was then Marcus Waring's it wasn't his first restaurant, but Marcus had been at L'Oranger when Gordon Ramsay was at Aubergine, just before Gordon split off, started to go on. You could say it was the beginning of his, or you could say it was the end of, of Gordon's glory period. But he put Marcus into Petrus, and that was the first restaurant that Gordon owned and put someone in, and Marcus was in Petrus, and it was just just the most wonderful meal. I remember it incredibly well. I remember the sweetbreads incredibly well. I went with Alan Crompton Bat, who was then the king of restaurant PRs, uh, not with us anymore. Um, and... Uh, Marcus came out from the kitchen and he was little and wiry with his twinkly blue eyes and he'd, he'd been a boxer quite recently, you know. He'd cooked a bit at, at L'Oranger uh, and it was lovely. And I wrote this review saying, you know, so much better than Gordon Ramsay and I'd never eaten Gordon's cooking, but that sounded like the sort of thing you should say. Uh, and it got a reasonable amount of attention because I said that Marcus responded very well to that. Gordon hated me for years and then decided he liked me and then hated me again uh but yeah no that was a that was a pretty defining moment petrus was a restaurant you would never you'd never get a restaurant like that anymore i remember the the the, the on the menu it was one of the it said uh, beef chicken aubergine you know it, it just said one word and then underneath the description but it was an it was a very deliberate attempt yeah. to move away from Ponce french Waters style exactly yeah, yeah. and now it's everyone does that yeah terry Durack once said that actually any good restaurant critic is just somebody who's eaten out at a lot of good places was that your experience is that what made you able to to have a superior taste um well when i started i hadn't really eaten out at a lot of places terry's right uh, it's a comparative job 
so it, a new place opens, and I really can tell you where it stands in, in, in the ratings. It's not like being a literary critic. It's, it's not, you're not really taking part and changing things. It's not, you're not engaging in the same sort of a way. Um, I suppose when I started, I had lived in Paris for a year. I lived in Paris in 1991-2. And back in those days, the, the difference was enormous. And you would, by eating out a different... I, I worked in a shop, but I spent my, my wages every night in a different restaurant. Uh, in those days, it would be Boffinger and Julien, the big brasseries. Um, one or two famous places, but not really. Uh, and lots of, and then, of course, lots of um, Lebanese food, lots of Vietnamese food and these kinds of things that you, you got in France at the time. So when I came back, I had a real advantage. Food in London was still terrible. So I was able to be a French food snob. I knew my cheeses. You know, there was a fromagerie near to where I lived in Republique. I used to go in and converse about, you know, the different kinds. I could come and be incredibly snooty uh, about the boulette d'Aven, which, of course, is made from the lees of the maroilles, and they add a bit of armagnac to it, and you get this. And the, the cheese people in restaurants didn't. So I looked like I knew my stuff. Uh, and then as the, the British... But you actually did. Well, did I... I had was... you ever... Had you met the artisan cheesemakers? Well, it's a good, did I know my stuff? Is there anything to know? It is all about flimflam. The relationship that there used to be in restaurants between, particularly in England, you know, I remember my dad was just cowed by these apparently sophisticated French and Italian men going, oh, this is wine, it's made from the... the grapes are run to the cheese on the south-facing slopes of the end, then we live on the oak floor. So, you know, and he just, oh, I'll, I'll have that then at £700. You know, you were sort of blown away by the... And I realised it was all really flimflam. So, so by throwing away, throwing around all this sort of French terminology, I made my editors believe that I knew about it. The chefs, you know, they they they're, they're simple souls who spend most of their life in a kitchen, so it's quite easy to fool them. And it was it was all it was all a wink and a nudge and smokes and mirrors. And, yeah. And then four of then I, then after I did it for Tatler, I then got hired to do it for the Independent because the restaurant at the time Hugh I can't remember to say he went off to do television Whittings something uh, went off to the River Cottage to, to have this massive career so I became the restaurant critic there and then I was fired from that for some reason and then I was hired by the Times later which was the job taking over from Jonathan Meads who'd made yeah. it famous being basically on the sister paper with Adrian Gill who's really the only one who counts and it was um, and uh, and then by then you know I suddenly I was a restaurant critic and anywhere that opened and the chef, they said such and such a chef and I go oh he used to work there there and there I still don't really know anything about food. I pride myself on the fact that I'm almost certainly the most famous, since Adrian died, I'm almost certainly the most famous restaurant critic in the country, and I definitely know less about food than all of them. So I, <laughs> what I've do got you something. mean? So what do you think knowing, uh, knowing about food really means then? What do you want to know that you don't think you know? I... Every now and again, I have to say to my wife at the table, remind me what a sauce vierge is. Is that the one with the thing, you know? So uh, you're still just trying to impress people. Difference between a Bernays and a Hollandaise. That's the, you know. So, so no, but you've got Google and Wikipedia. Now you don't have to know anything. Um, so I come home and I'm with photos of the meal. I go onto various bloggers' pages and look at their boring descriptions of what they've written and the boring opinions <laughs> of all the other restaurant critics. And, but I, no, I go and I don't know. I look at this thing and he's made a such and such a dish and he has... Um, poached the uh, supreme of guinea fowl without first frying it off or something and you know from certain restaurant critics you will get certainly the old school of restaurant critic the Matthew Forts of the world you would get paragraphs about how this dish has been done how it should have been done he could tell from the taste of the seasoning that he'd gone a bit light on the fennel seed I, I'm drunk before the first course arrives in most restaurants and I have to take photos to remind myself of what I ate. But basically, I think I would tell young people who want to be restaurant critics, and God knows they still exist, and I don't know why they still do, because I think it's a job that's over, and good, good riddance in the age of TripAdvisor. Um, it's, yes, it, it's about telling a story. Uh, it's, it's starting a piece, and it's not, I walk, not walk in, describe where the chef's been before, describe the decor, talk about the service. The chicken was a bit salty, the loo's were clean, seven out of ten. That's not it. No one needs that. Chip yeah. advisor can do that. Yeah. Tell a story. It's, it's going in there and giving people a thousand words a, 
a slice of their life. Yes. I have to say that I am a little bit anti the restaurant critic because I think that um, some critics, won't mention any names, fetishise foods. I mean, you've already talked Mm. about, you know, the sort of the need to know the difference between a sauce fusion or whatever. Who cares? Um, And I think actually that that has made food out of some people's reach. And I think that when you fetishise food, you stop people having a relationship with it and Mm. you encourage people to have a relationship that isn't based on anything really real. Well, I mean, certainly I lose patience with restaurant critics. I mean, I'm so glad I'm a restaurant critic because I constantly feel that the others need to be shown how it's done every week. So I'm glad that I'm here to do that. Uh, The the thing about fetishising food, you know... it's so strange the circles one goes in. When I started in the game, one fetishised French food. We now laugh at it. They're so far behind, you know. But it, but but um, uh, you fetishised the, the, the mysteries of it. You know, the, the, it was typified in wine, which just said uh, Pomerol on it. Uh, if that had been an Aussie wine, it would have just it would have just said Cab Sauv, mate. You know, uh, and, and we, we we would the rest of the world taught us to bring away the mysteries and, and to, to have ease of access. So you're not scared of how that dish is done and how you're going to behave in a French restaurant. We don't fetishise the sweetbread and the oyster and the caviar and the lobster and the God knows the the, the, the autolan or whatever. But you know, so we've gone all we've got so we've gone all street food. We went gastro pub and we went street food. We went low and slow. We went barbecue. Now they fetishise, you know. Uh, a, a pork chop cooked slow in a in a big green egg, don't they? The, the, the authenticity is now fetishised in the same way, and you are instructed by some daft hipster with a long beard and a check shirt and a bone through his nose to to regard his slow cooked, organically sourced um, Herdwick mutton in a wrap with a and a bagel and a and a you know a tabule salad and a, over the next perfectly normal Lamberger, you know? They, the, the, the industry does it, and the critics are quite complicit in it. That thing, do you remember, I mean, what, it must be two years ago now, the burger craze. It went on probably, it was about 11, uh, 2011 to 2013. It was just burger, every shop there. And people were searching for this perfect burger, like in The Beats, like the Alex Garner novel, the backpacks. And the, what's the perfect burger? I think maybe, I think it must be a human nature to, to, to reverse into cliques and defend your position with food. And the critics who pander to that... Um, Yes, you kind of expose the whole, the the, the way it all happens, the PRs mm, um, sending I, you the stuff. You go where the PR tells you and you... you ex- well, it depends. I do, I do, of late, I've recently I've had some fun going out with the PRs because in my early days, in the in the late 90s when I did it for Tatler, I would, I would go one or two incognitos and the rest you had to get coffee with PRs and I was a younger man and the PRs were ladies and they had a budget and they, their job was to make me happy. <laughs> so there you go. I used to have good afternoons. Uh, but it was, that, th- things were different then. And, and then it went away and I'm paid a wonderful salary by the Times and I have wonderful expenses and I don't have to worry about getting anything free. But I, I started just to hang out with PRs because they know about food and I'm so fed up with number of restaurant critics. So someone like Jay Rayner, who I would regard now left in the game, there's Jay, Marina, Faye and me. And then the others are great too, but they're a bit later comers. So the four of us are, ah, who's, you know. And Jay, on his Twitter bio, doesn't take comps. He's, he's, that's like, he, he's got... 50 work, 30, 20, 15 words to sum up his life doesn't take comps he's used so of course we don't take free food but Jay feels it's so important that his integrity should yeah. not be questioned so I decided I'm going to start taking free food so I was going to have a big Peruvian meal with a load of free Pisco sours and a bottle of Krug on some PR company I can actually get a perfectly amusing piece out of it and you know what the, the Peruvian food they serve there is fine there's a limit to how much better uh, they can make it uh, do you know funnily enough it was Jay although Jay with his doesn't take comps. It was also Jay Rayner, and I hate to quote other critics, especially Jay. It was Jay who said when people when asked about the incognito thing, a bad restaurant can't become a good restaurant just because I've walked in. 
Uh, and he's quite right. I mean, that is the thing. So really, you could go around here. Also, I look, I've been doing it for 16 years. You get, I mean, you've got to find new ways yeah. of approaching it. And so, so going a bit postmodernist, you see, you, you talk about um, fetishizing food, and I try to avoid it, but I try to be, um, I try to be uh, absolute. So when something's quite good, as soon as I get past seven and a half out of 10, I'll usually declare it's the best restaurant to open this year, probably this decade, who knows ever. Because people want to see that. And, if, and the moment the waiter's a tiny bit grumpy, the eggs, eh, I think this place needs to be closed. Uh, because, you know, they need to be put on the streets. Their children should starve as a punishment for serving me green beans, which haven't been quite properly topped and tailed, and they weren't put into iced water quick yeah. enough and they're not bright green. Very, very often it is a load of nonsense, mm. but actually you play to that. And you tell the stories and you mm. expose it for what it is. And I, I think that we're in that era now where people don't really take it all too seriously. One thing I would say is that people who run restaurants take it seriously because it's their business. Okay, so I would never... When I joke when I say close, I would never be unfair on a restaurant. I might be too fair. And in that way, you would argue, and critics would, that you're letting down your readers. I would try not to send my readers to a rubbish place because I happen to like the manager. But I, but I try to be... But I, I, they take it seriously. For them. It's all fine for us to joke and laugh and whatever. But the, the problem is, in a world with, with TripAdvisor, a restaurant can have one bum night. They can, they can have 10 people in there who go into TripAdvisor and say it was rubbish. So but the chef could lose his temper and everyone say, oh, it's an awful place to be. Uh, and, and the place is closed. Now, we can, we can offer a corrective to that because we're sane. We haven't got an axe to grind. I think that's a, that is a function of critics now. Thanks for listening to Delicious Magazine's Extra Portion. You can find out much more about all things delicious at the website, deliciousmagazine.co.uk. And while you're there, do subscribe and get every podcast delivered free to your podcast app. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.